0: Psalm 56, it was my intention to continue with Isaiah 53, but the whole week the Lord has just burdened my heart on the subject that I'd like to preach on this morning, and it gave me no peace, uh, <clears throat> uh, so I wish this morning to take a small break. I am looking forward to getting back to Isaiah 53, but uh, <clears throat> I pray the Lord would bless us this morning with what he's laid on my heart, which has been something that I have learned over the years, and I'm still learning, and I hope and pray that we would all be encouraged and strengthened by the message this morning. Psalm 56, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He, fighting daily, oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise His Word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. That's twice. Thou vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto Thee. For Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not Thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? May the Lord bless the reading of His words. You know... There are a lot of things in the Christian life which sometimes confound and confuse us. Not always do we understand our wanderings or where the Lord providentially leads us. When I look through the passages of Scripture and through the saints of old, I stand amazed at what God did in His children in the past and how He would grant them promises And yet the wanderings that God providentially would lead them through until they reach that promise is really what made those promises so effectual in the hearts and lives of His people. Abraham was promised a son. He had to wait 25 years. Joseph was promised to sit on the throne. He had to wait 13 years. Moses, forty years. David, the anointed king, is a ready youth, must wait fifteen years. And of course, even Christ himself must wait thirty before he entered into the ministry after the baptism of John the Baptist. And yet all that time between those years, God was molding and perfecting that in their lives, which would make them fit for that divine promise which He gave. You know, God is always constantly working in us, one way or another, day by day, and at each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. The author of this psalm is one we are very familiar with, David, a man after God's own heart. And yet the title of this psalm, if you would did some searching, is Upon a Silent Dove in Distant Places. I've always admired this psalm for years. The title alone speaks volumes of David's character. Not only was he a, a valiant man and a man of war, yet David was a man after God's own heart. And in this 56th psalm, we see a part of David which... Should encourage us and greatly comfort us as we ourselves travel through this pilgrim land seeking to live a life that is glorifying to God. We see the humility and submission of David in Psalm 56 that he exercised towards God under such travels, such wanderings, because he was assured of God's loving watchfulness and care over Him. I want to emphasize that. So often, many times in this hectic world in which we live in, we we don't take time, and I've said this for years, but meditation in God's truth is a lost virtue amongst many Christians. We, We don't spend enough time meditating on the words of God. But we need to do that more often. Meditation is a virtue which greatly encourages the Christian. Even though it is God's Word and is sovereign and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, yet meditation is what God has divinely ordained to be the means whereby those truths sink deeper within our hearts and our minds. To stop and meditate like Mary who sat at the feet of Christ and she chose that which was right or good or profitable while Martha served tables. Sometimes, if not often, we must exercise that same virtue of meditation and contemplation and prayer over God's Word. And this morning, just for a few moments, I want to look at what David says in the midst of this 56th Psalm. And I hope and pray it would be an encouragement unto all of us as it has been for me this past week when we consider these words. Look at verse 8. Thou tellest, thou takest into account, you notice, you direct, Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? That David was deeply troubled by the oppressions of his enemies. And we're not talking merely about outward enemies. We're talking about those also within referring to our own hearts, that David was deeply troubled by the oppression of his enemies, he humbly confesses. Be merciful, verse 1, unto me, O God, for men would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. He even confesses in verse 3 that there are times when he's afraid. Verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. David humbly confesses these things. But in verse 4, he says, In God will I praise his word, in God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. We must be careful as God's children that such things which David expresses here that troubled him and caused him to fear. We must be careful as God's children that such things do not drive us away from God, but drive us to God. You know, there's a lot of things in our Christian life that appear negative and are in themselves for the flesh negative, but they are intended to draw us near to God, not repel us from God. When a child of God faces trouble and trials and afflictions, we turn to God. We don't turn away from God. So sometimes we wonder why God allows those things to take place. Why am I suffering persecution? Why am I suffering affliction? Why do I have so many oppressions from the enemy, from without and within? Those oftentimes are God's divine providence leading us to drive to drive us to Him, not from Him. I might be preaching to the choir, as some say, but I'm telling you, in all of our afflictions, in all of our afflictions, God sovereignly uses those things to reveal unto us not only something about ourselves, but something more so about God. And without those things, we would have never learned that about God. When Paul talks about our afflictions being light, in 1 Corinthians... His emphasis is that our afflictions only appear light, and but for a moment, as we look at the things not seen. That's when he says our afflictions will appear light, and but for a moment, when we look on things that are not seen. Not on things that are seen. And too often, we look upon the temporary, the things that are seen. The temporary affliction, or trouble, or trial we're facing instead of looking on the things that are not seen. Let me tell you from experience, today is Brother Charles' birthday. We wish him a happy birthday. He's 92, I think, years old. But let me tell you something that we're probably all aware of, but let me tell you anyway. This life is very brief, believe me. I'm getting a visit today from a man that was in my church 30 years ago. I kept saying to my wife this morning, 30 years. His kids are grown up in college. They were babies. Some of them was born in our church, not in the church itself, but during that time. Thirty years, I'm going, man. We look too often on the things that are temporary and we get troubled by them. We must learn that we must look to the things that are not seen. Because if our afflictions, when they do appear light, and but for a moment, because we're looking on things that are not seen, only then can we see how they, Paul says, work for us, a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. They work for us. They work for us. How often have we thought in our afflictions, this is working for me? I doubt many of us. Jacob and all his troubles. Joseph and everything else. He said, all these things be against me. None of those things were against Jacob. David said, I'm one step away from death. Because Saul was pursuing him. He even at one point declared, I'll never sit on the throne. Saul's going to kill me. We're prone to look at the things that can be seen. We're prone to look more at our troubles and our trials and not allow them to work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, to look for things that are not seen. I'm telling you, beloved, that's that's a mystery of itself when you consider it. I mean, many of us here have been saved for years, I've been saved for over 40, but that's still a mystery how that works. But it does. And David expresses that same desire here. He shows us a remedy here. He shows us how it's for the true believer to possess such an assurance and confidence in God, even though everything around us seems to be against us. Now, I want to let you look at a really short this morning a threefold assurance of how God comforts us and uh, gives us strength in verse 8. First and foremost, thou tellest my wanderings. You take into account. That's one. Second, not only that, Put thou my tears into thy bottle. God only not only accounts for our wondering, He not only directs our wondering, but God is sympathetic towards us when we have times of sorrow and tears. Put my tears in thy bottle. And thirdly, are they not in thy book? God never forgets. God always remembers. Not our sins, but our tears. David's confidence and assurance did not arise from himself or his abilities, but from a genuine assurance of God's watchful, loving care in all his wanderings. Thou tellest, you record, you take into account my wanderings. David had a genuine assurance of God's watchful, loving care in all his wanderings, no matter where he went. You say, preacher, sometimes that's hard to fathom. I'm telling you, uh, I'm telling you, not only from scripture, but from personal experience myself, sometimes our wanderings appear to be going nowhere. it seems that everything's in vain. God, tell us, David said, my wanderings. He takes into account. You know, sometimes, if not often, our wanderings in this Christian life, in this, in this, through this present world, pilgriming through this present world, sometimes our wanderings are not known or understood by us. David doesn't say, I know my wanderings. David said, Thou tellest my wanderings. Thou takest into account my wanderings. You know what's going on, God. You, have, you take into account what's happening in my life. We might not know, we might not at the present understand, but David said, God does. God tell us our wanderings. in Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. Listen to the prophet Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? Showed you how important preaching is. That walketh in darkness and hath no light. Listen to this: That walketh in darkness and hath no. Somebody is walking. You say, but preacher, they're in darkness. They're still walking. You, you following the thought here? They're still walking. Okay. What's he say? Who is among you? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Trust. And stay upon his God. Now, you don't see anywhere in here where it says that there's suddenly going to be light upon your path. Now, we know there is, Psalms 119. We know the Word of God is the light of our path. But in our text, it doesn't say anything about he'll give you enlightenment. It says, no, you're walking in darkness. At this moment, you have no understanding where you're going or what purpose all this is. But you're walking in darkness. You need to trust in the God, trust in the Lord, and stay Upon your God. That's an amazing truth which offers the greatest comfort if we could, but by God's grace and by the Spirit of God, come to understand and acquaint ourselves with that. When our Lord said that concerning the sower and the seed, when our Lord said that some shall fall into thorns and all that stuff, and the persecution of the word, they'll fall away, that's true, that happens. Most people who profess to know Christ, let persecutions and afflictions come, and if they don't have a true saving grace in their hearts, they're going to fall away. They're going to leave because of persecution for the word's sake. But a true believer, because he's been a part of this grace of God, he continues to walk. I can't explain it. I can't give you a, a declaration or, de- or some kind of recipe for that. But I'm telling you, because there's a work of grace wrought in the believer's heart, we continue to walk. I'm telling you. There are many times, countless times in my life, as I'm sure in yours, there was wanderings in your life that you had no idea what was going on. God removed any kind of insight, enlightenment, and anything. Because we have that grace imparted, we knew not why or how, but we kept walking. We trusted God. We stayed upon our God. Love it! I'm telling you this. These are things that the child of God cherishes. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Hast thou not seen how all thy desires have been met in what God hath ordained? Uh, even those times of repentance... You know that? I, I, I can't understand how we have some people today amongst the ranks of the doctrines of grace who consistently try to convince people that uh, a true child of God have no need more of repentance. I'm telling you there's something sweet about repentance. There's something cleansing about repentance. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how old you get. God has ways of sovereignly and providentially drawing out the depths of that wickedness of our hearts even in our old age and reminding us that we're but flesh and granting us a renewal of repentance. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And done this in thy sight. Psalm 51, the penitent psalm. Thou tellest my wanderings. Though many were the afflictions and sorrows which met David, even in those times he was afraid, David knew by faith that God Himself told, took into account Was personally aware and took great interest, took great interest in his wanderings. Job was the one, when he couldn't find what God was doing in his life, Job was the one who cried, but he knoweth the way, the way that I take. He echoes the psalmist, or the psalmist echoes Job. Thou tellest my wanderings. He knows the way that I take. You see, even when we tend to lose in our own mind and heart the way, and we think we've wandered away, God's going, you didn't wander anywhere. I didn't know that. You didn't get any farther than I allowed you to. Hosea talks about hedging up our ways. You think God is going to leave us to ourselves? You really think God is going to leave us to ourselves? I preacher, what happens when I do wander astray? There were 99. There were 99. And he left the fold and sought out that one sheep until he found it. He put it on his shoulder and he carried him back to the fold and the fold rejoiced. You see,
1: (laughs) when God says, I'll never
0: leave you nor forsake you, he meant that, even when we feel as though we've wandered. And oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we're so humbled by our insufficiency and our sins and our infirmities, and yet God says... I tell of your wanderings, I take into account your wanderings. It's made in comfort for a child of God. Look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. It just kinda of saddened my my heart that in a lot of what we're saying today, a lot of what I'm preaching on this morning is something that took me so many years to learn, and I'm still learning, and I don't think I'll ever learn it to the end. I shall never, never be forsaken by God. Isaiah forty three We all know this passage of Scripture as well. But now saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Three wonderful words. Thou art mine. You're not your own. Remember the potter and the clay? makes it any way he wants to. The clay doesn't have power over the potter. Remember that analogy? Thou art mine. Thou, Thou art mine. You're mine. Now watch this. When, not if, when thou passest through the waters. You're passing through. He didn't say if. He said, no, you're, you're going to go through waters. You're going to pass through them. Listen to the voice of confidence and assurance in God. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I'm not going to make the waters go away, but I will be with you in those waters when you pass. You see... You see, again, it's not, and I've said this often over the years, it's not in God delivering us, it's in God being with us. Are you listening? God being with us. What if it's God's divine and sovereign will that you and I bear a lot, a cross that is so heavy that we never get rid of it in this present life and we don't drop it until death when we finally approach God? Are we still willing to say, thou art with me? Because, beloved, sometimes in a lot of Christians' life, that's exactly what's happened. Look at some of the Christians throughout history. The lot they've had to bear, the troubles, the sorrows, the anxiety, the persecution, the afflictions that they had to bear. And yet they still had confidence and faith that God knew or told their wanderings. I'll be with you. And through the rivers, you're going to pass through rivers too, not just waters, it might be up to the ankle but he said, there might also be rivers. They shall not overflow thee. You say, but, Richard, I'm up to my neck. I don't think I can handle much more. God said, no, no, they're not going to overflow you. But you don't understand. The river's up to my nose. It's up to my chin. I don't know. God says, no, they're not going to overflow you. Why? Thou tellest thy my wanderings. When thou walkest through the fire, Again, somebody's walking, passing, constant movement, progression, always moving, always walking. When they pass us through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It won't harm you, it won't consume you. Just like the three Hebrew children, the same fire that consumed the guards who were heathen and lost, never laid a hand, never touched, never did anything to the three Hebrew children. And I'm telling you, the world goes through trouble. Listen to me. Man, when you open up the news anymore, you can't see nothing but despair. I mean, I'm telling you, shootings and people getting killed and children and schools. And, and I mean, people that know, don't know God, that's exactly what's happening. The fires are consuming them. But look at the Christians. Look at the Christians. It's not that we're not unaffected by these tragedies. Of course we are. Do they break our hearts? Of course they do. Are we sorrowful over them? Of course we are. But they don't have Christ. I've often spoke to unbelievers, and I said, I can't understand how you can go through this. I had a man at work who was going through severe trouble. He had severe anxiety and depression, and, and he was searching for help, and he, he, he sought me out and, and wanted some help, and I just told him the truth. I said, you know, if you're a Christian, I could really help you. I said, but you, don't, you need to understand your first need is Christ. I have no remedy for you without Christ. You don't understand that. And this is what the churches around the world are trying to do. They're trying to give people a remedy without Christ. There's no remedy without Christ. I said, you first must know Christ. I can't help you like this. And yet many Christians, sadly, try to do They try to persuade them. And I'm telling you, there's no help outside of Christ. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything you want. I want to be part of your band. I want to be able to have what the disciples have. I want to be able to walk with you. The Lord said, that's okay, you can do that. But first go home and sell all your riches and give to the poor, then come follow me. And the man left. You see, a man's life (laughs) is not in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's a big difference. We might have to go through waters. God might divinely ordain that we go through rivers. He might even ordain a fire or two. If God says, I will be with thee. Like troubles (laughs) to sanctify. Do we understand the text? It it doesn't matter what God providentially puts us through. It cannot and will not and will never consume us, hurt us, harm us. It will only be used by God to draw us closer to him. What happens when we fail? God picks us up. But let me tell you something from experience. (laughs) He don't just mark off that trial. He'll say, no, we're coming back to it because I want you to learn something here. So He brings us back to it. Last week at work, actually, I was called in. Was it Friday night or Saturday night? Friday night. One of those nights. Called in quite often. Called into work. And something happened there, and the Lord just greatly humbled me. Greatly humbled me. And was reminded that I'm just but flesh. And I thought, Lord... I could sit here and try to say, okay, well, I'm going to base everything on the 40 years I've been a Christian and all the sermons I've preached and all the times I've read the Bible and all these things you've shown me. And at that moment, it seemed like nothing that God had ever showed me uh, could bring me that comfort until I got to this text. And I said, God, I didn't know what you did. And this is not to harm me. Though it humbled me, but it's to help me learn more about myself and more about you. And, oh, he showed me something that's been going on a long time in my heart. And I said, Lord, thank you for showing me that. I need to get rid of this. Lord, I can't do without you. And so now I've begun praying about that thing that has been... Lingering so long in my heart, and God says, No, I want you to take care of it now. You wonder why God doesn't show that to you. When I was a young Christian, uh, wasn't saved very long, and, and, uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting, they were asking about, anybody got testimony to the Lord, any scripture, and I stood up, and I was like two weeks old, Lord, and I, and I got up, and I just took out First Peter, and I said, The trying of your, your faith shall work with patience. And I thought, Boy, I sure do know that. I've been persecuted at work because I don't drink beer anymore. I know what that church is all about. (laughs) Oh boy! (laughs) God says no. There's things in you that you don't know, and I won't tend to show you until it's time's right. My timing's right. So you see, you and I still have problems and deficiencies in our hearts and our characters and our conduct. That God waits for the right time and says, "Okay, now I want you to deal with that." But Lord, uh, how come you've allowed this or condoned this for so long? The Lord said you wasn't ready. Now you are, and I'll take care of it. God works wonderfully in our hearts and lives. You know that He knows exactly when to show us things we need to take care of. He knows exactly when to reveal unto us those truths that we need. He knows exactly what we need. Joseph didn't know that a prison was necessary for him to be put on the throne. In fact, Joseph got impatient and said, Remember me when you get up there, okay? And tell the king that I told you a vision. And God took that guy's memory out of his mind for a couple years until he said, Oh, yeah, now I remember. Like God said, Joseph, you're not getting out here on your own. You're getting out here on my timing, not yours. You have to wait. Moses thought he would was big enough to, if you read scriptures, thought he was big enough to go ahead and lead God's children out of Egypt by his own strength, by slaying an Egyptian. God said, no, that's not that's not what I have not plan. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you out 40, 40 years in the wilderness and show you what you are without me. You're nothing. By the time I get finished with you, you're going to be talking to a burning bush, and you're going to say, I don't have a word to say. I, I can't open my mouth. God greatly humbled him and made him what he needed to be and then brought him in. You, you never know. You never know what God uses. I was you know, reading a couple of weeks ago, got to, uh got to uh, Samson, and we all know the story of Samson. Well, Samson wanted to get this Philistine woman. Well, we all know what the Old Testament said about Israelites marrying heathens. It's unheard of. You don't do that. You don't. You don't marry. You know. You you. Marry. But the Bible says that his mother and father knew not it was of the Lord. And I thought, imagine that God's doing something that would make it apparently seem like it wasn't in God's perfect law to do that. But God says, "I'm going to do it anyway." I'm not saying God contradicts His law. I'm simply saying God's sovereign. Sometimes God does things. <laughs> without addressing us first. And it looks contrary. Do you know that? you know sometimes God's providences look contrary to His promises? Now tell us my wanderings. Verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Sheba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. I love that. Thou hast been on I have loved thee. to thee and people for thy life. Precious in my sight. You know, he who numbers the very hairs on our heads, and takes into account every sparrow that falls upon the earth. Surely, as David says here in Psalm fifty six, he shall take into account he'll acknowledge, direct, protect, and care. For our every wandering, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yea, though I walk where I could stick there for a while, yea, though I walk. He's, again, walking. You ever notice that? I did that one time. I looked at concord, uh, Concordance. Every time I talked about walking, there's a lot of verses about walking. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of your vocation. Walk in the Lord. And the Walk at this constant progression. Constant progression. That's, that's a sign. That's the fruit and evidence of true grace imparted in the heart of a believer. They continue walking. God told Joshua, "Obey the law. Don't divert to the right or the left, that you may prosper. Diverting from the way is worse than quitting. Do you know that? It's worse than quitting. Day okay, though I walk to the valley of the, and I always love that shadow of death. You, you can't have a shadow without light. So there's light in the valley of death. <laughs> Wonder who the light that is, yeah." You know. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I've always wondered when I read this verse if God's going to actually let us experience that when we die. That He takes us through death and we get to see it and know He can't touch us. He can't harm us. That last in me I always wonder if God's going to allow us to enjoy the blessing of that. I would kind of think He would because that is the last enemy and He conquered death. I would kind of think that He would. Almost like Christ when He raised from the three days in the grave and everything's folded up, the linen and everything nice and neat at the foot and the head and the rock rolled away. And uh, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You know why the psalmist knew that God was with him in the valley of the shadow of death? Because he knew God was with him as he lived. You know that? He knew God was with him as he lived this life. Therefore, he had assurance that God would be with him in death as well. That's our comfort. You know that that's our comfort. When we reach that phase, that final that final stage of departing this life, you know it's going to be a comfort? the comfort in that phase of facing death so imminently coming at us is going to be, the comfort's going to be, I've walked with Christ. That's what's going to give me encouragement and strength to walk through that valley of the shadow of death because Christ has walked with me in life. I really don't want to think about those who pass from this life and enter death without Christ. I, I really don't. As we'll be seeing in the next few weeks, all the physical sufferings that Christ put, was put through uh, is what every sinner is going to suffer in hell. And with that, let me just make this note of this. When we consider Isaiah 53, John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb of man, the Lamb of God. He's God's Lamb. But you notice in the Old Testament when they, when they offered the Lamb for the sacrifice, they they led the lamb to the altar and slit his throat. That was it. They didn't take that lamb and get a cat of nine tails and beat it. They didn't take that lamb and put a bunch of thorns on its head. They didn't abuse that lamb. They didn't s- strike the lamb. They didn't beat the lamb. They simply cut its throat. This lamb of God this lamb of God had to be bruised and beaten, inflicted, wounded, tormented. Big difference. And it's amazing when you think about it. For years, I just simply looked at it and I thought, okay, good. He's on the cross. He was beaten. And, you know, for us, he's wounded for our transgression. But think about it for a minute. These are all physical wounds. Physical. God didn't nail the, the nails in his hand. God didn't have the cat of nine tails in his hand and, and whooped into his flesh just flying out in chunks. God didn't beat him up. God didn't do that. We did that. We did that. How is it that by one man and his sufferings and afflictions, how is it by one man God's wrath would be eternally appeased and his justice completely satisfied? By one man! When you consider in the Old Testament they sacrificed every day, mornings and evenings. At the commitment of Solomon's temple, it was like 120,000 lambs. He had to build new altars. But Hebrew says these sacrifices made them remember sin. There was remembrance of sin in those sacrifices, but oh, not in this sacrifice. One man, amazing, amazing. Maybe I'll just quit here and go into Isaiah 53, but amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. What thou hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine, mine was the transgressions. Thine the deadly pain. He suffered physically. They didn't abuse that lamb in the Old Testament, but Christ had to suffer Physically, and spiritually, and emotionally. Because later on it says, when the Lord shall see the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied. I can't wait to get to there, but he shall be satisfied. He was greatly satisfied and enjoyed. Pleased when his son's soul was in travail. Why? For you and I... That's how much God loves us. Do you know that? Can you understand? Maybe even now, the psalmist even better. Thou tell us my wanderings. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As the days, as thy days, thy strength shall be in measure, shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. And real quickly, I spent too much time on the first point already. Now tell us my wanderings. you know them all. I like this part. Number two, put thou my tears into thy bottle. You know, it would be more than enough to be assured and know that God tell us my wanderings. That God's providentially watching over me. He's directing me. He takes into account. But that He would also even acknowledge and have pity and compassion for my every tear. The psalmist says, Put my tears, put my tears, put thou my tears into thy bottle. put them in that's somebody who do you realize how precious our tears are in the sight of God? Do you understand that? Every time something causes us to weep and moan, God puts our tears into a bottle. To Hezekiah, God replied, "I have heard thy prayer, and I've seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. You know, uh, we'll be looking at that a minute here in closing. He puts them into a book. God never forgets them. But, but God takes extreme notice and attention when we cry. For every tear that's dropped, God remembers. We go to our friends and our families and we express maybe some sorrow we have and there might be a tear or something. There might be some kind of emotion, but they soon forget. God don't. God keeps them. He stores them up. I like what uh, Spurgeon said once. Let me just read you this quote. He says, and I quote, Tears speak more eloquently than ten thousand tongues. Think about that for a minute. They act as keys upon the wards of tender hearts, and mercy denies them nothing. If through them the weeper looks to richer drops even to the blood of Jesus. When our sorrows pull up the sluices of our eyes, pulls up the gates of our eyes, God will ere long interpose and turn our mourning into joy. Long may he Be quiet as though he regarded not, but the hour of deliverance will come, and come like the morning when the dew drops are plentiful. End of quote. Weeping may endure for night, but joy cometh in the morning. He not only telleth my wanderings, but he puts my tears into a bottle. Psalm 147 says, He healeth the broken in heart. He healeth the broken in heart. and bindeth up their wounds, bindeth up their wounds. He does not only just heal the broken heart, he bindeth up our wounds. He makes our sickness better. He makes it better. He binds it up, like the Good Samaritan. The others looked and passed on, and he went over there and he looked on him. Been over, pointed his own oil, applied a bandage to it, and not only that, he put him on his own ass, and then he led him to a tavern, and he paid the keeper, keep him till I come back. That's how you love your neighbor, our Lord said. But that's also what Christ did for us. He bound up our wounds, he poured in ointment, and he healed us. He put us upon that, he gave us to a tavern. He said, Now you keep him till I come back, and what else I owe, I'll pay you. He's not going to owe you nothing. Oh, wonderful example of salvation. You know, I've found in my Christian life, there are times, more than often, when we as Christians, and I believe this is God's own doing, when we as Christians feel as nobody else in the world knows or cares. Are you listening? Nobody else in the world knows or cares. God does. Do you know that? The Lord in the garden said, Peter, James, and John, come with me. You're, you're my closest disciples. Now, you, you sit here with me while I go yonder in prayer. I'm going to be right back. But I need you close to me. I need you close to me. He was man and God. He said, I need you close to me. You sit here and wait for me while I go yonder and pray. And he went and prayed and came back and they were asleep. And the human comfort that Christ so at that moment yearned for and longed for God took away. You don't care. Imagine, imagine as a man, just for a minute, if, if we could, imagine for a minute What a man would think when he's looking for comfort from his friends, when he's fixing to face the cross of Calvary and the wrath of God for our sins. Imagine what comfort he would be wanting from his closest of friends, only to find out that they care less about it. In fact, they fall asleep. At the very moment in time, that very night when he was going to be crucified, God denied him all human comfort. So he goes back and prays again comes back, goes back and prays again, and suddenly he's swept, sweat his sweat is like drops of blood, and finally he says, "Lord, not my will, but thine." He an example to us all. Sometimes God removes all human comfort. No, let me tell you something. Christ said, could you not stay awake with me one hour? I'm not saying it's not going to grieve our hearts. I'm not saying we're going to go, oh, well, that's all right, God's with me. No, it's going to wound our hearts. It's going to break our hearts. Do you know that the greatest sorrow, the greatest affliction I've ever had has not come from the unbelievers, but has come from those who profess to know Christ? Do you know that? Family cuts the deepest. And some of my greatest sorrows, I'm sure, is like some of you. And heartache has come from those who profess to know Christ. I hate to say this, but sometimes that's just the way it is. And sometimes God just removes all human comfort. Because God wants to know, there's nobody cares for you like me. Nobody loves you like me. You need to learn in those times to come to me. Even the Lord said Himself, He said, you all shall forsake me, but I'm not alone. For so the Father's with me. In one moment in time, one moment in time, the Father was not with Him. When He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which I believe is going to be the hardest cry of all the damned because they're going to realize, they're going to realize for eternity they're forsaken of God. I think that will cause more torment than the flames of hell. The reality that God has forsaken them. And they're going to cry multitude, countless times throughout eternity. Why hast thou forsaken me? Put my tears in your bottle. I've often said this before, and I'm winding this down real quick. That which compels the true believer to cast all our cares upon God is because they know and are assured that God cares for them. You know why we do that? We know God cares for us. You ever try to share your sorrows, your cares with somebody, and you just felt like they didn't care or they couldn't understand? Well, I've been there. I'm sure you have too. I won't go through the tragedy, but people never go through that. They can never understand it. We've all been in trials and afflictions and sorrows where other people don't go through that. They can't comprehend. Oh, I I understand what, no you don't. You have no idea. You've never been through that. You can't come anywhere near of comprehending that. Somebody else who has? Okay. Be careful when you try to comfort others. Don't be hypocritical about it and try to comfort them with mere words. Be sincere. Sometimes it's good, like Job's three friends, the best thing they could do is sit quietly for so many days and not say a word. That's all. He, sometimes it's just good to just sit quietly. We always think we have to provide some kind of remedy, some kind of words of comfort. Sometimes those words are vain and unaffectual. But God knows. And so for every tear he puts in his bottle, quickly, Psalm 56. Are they my tears not in thy book? Again, the psalmist is saying God doesn't forget. He never does quick. He doesn't quickly dismiss the tears of his children. Be they penitent tears, be they tears of loss and sorrow, tears of worry and anxiety, of fear, it doesn't matter. Precious are the tears of God's people and are forever recorded in God's book. God never forgets. You remember when uh, the woman, many believe it was Mary, came up behind Christ and had that precious spikenard, that ointment, and she anointed his feet, but she also anointed him with his tears. Do you know her tears were much more precious than that costly ointment? She's wiped my feet with her tears and dried it with her. That was precious in the sight of God. Precious in the sight of God. <laughs> I'm telling you, beloved, don't let troubles, trials, afflictions, persecutions, oppositions, don't let them drive you from God. Let them drive you to God. Turn to the Psalms, as we do in many cases. The Psalms really expose not only the heart of its writers, and that's our own, but also reveals the remedy they always found, which was in God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's a fact. But the Lord delivered them out of them all. That as well is a fact. Amen. How do we know that? Because He tell us my wanderings. He puts my tears in His bottles. Are they not in His book? What well, a God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for Psalm 56. We thank you, Lord, for the encouraging words we could learn from David, how you allowed him to go through all these sufferings and trials and afflictions that it might be recorded in thy word for generations of your people to read and find comfort. What an amazing thing the word of God is. Lord, we thank you for it. and We ask that, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, to meditate more often upon the precious Word of God. Spend time in prayer and meditation before You, Father, Lord, that we might know these truths more thoroughly, more sincerely, more genuinely. Father, I pray if there be some here this morning, which I know there are, that know not Christ. Lord, they know nothing of Your love, Your mercy, and Your grace. Lord, I pray that, Lord, You'd speak to their hearts, even concerning these things, uh, Lord, about Your children. Lord, that they'd grow envious, And desire to know the Christ who cares so much, who loves so much, who shows compassion so much, and who shall never, ever leave nor forsake his children. Lord, may you wean their hearts to thee. Lord, be honored and glorified in all we say and do. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.